inside your bulletin comes from Psalm 51. Psalm 51, David's sin has found him out. And here in this psalm, David confesses his sin. He pleads that God would create within him a new heart, giving him a steadfast spirit. Here we're reminded of God being a God of grace and a God of mercy, as he even cries out, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Make me to hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my transgression or all my iniquities. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. He's a God of grace and mercy, and therefore we ought to be a people that have thankful hearts and want to praise Him. Trinity, number 83, is our opening hymn. Number 83 in the Trinity. We praise Thee, O God, our Redeemer, Creator, and grateful devotion, our tribute we bring. Number 83, Trinity Hymn Book. as we approach you this day we 
do come with gladness in our heart to sing praise before you. You are worthy of all praise. And um, we come because we are needy and we seek you. And we desire that you would come and meet with us and draw us on to thee. Through the word, whether it is prayed, sung, or preached, um, we ask, O oh God, that you would uh, come and be among us and, and draw us on to you and give us the strength that we need to praise your name in this place. May all things be done for your glory and honor. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When Jesus Christ left this world, he did so with these words, that he would come again, that where he is we may be with him also. And every believer eagerly anticipates that day when Jesus Christ comes again. We, we sing about that reality in the Trinity hymn book on page 599. The sands of time are seeking, the dawn of heaven breaks. The time is ever growing closer to that day when we will see our Savior face to face. And what a day that will be to gaze upon His glory. 599 in the Trinity Hymn Book.
morning reading in the scriptures, we will be reading through Luke 21, Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse. This passage has been at the center of much theological and ethological debate, and uh, if we slow down and allow the Lord's words to um, be heard, it will eliminate a lot of the confusion. But this passage does contain uh, foreshadowing the destruction of Jerusalem, which is a judgment upon that nation, and the destruction of the temple, but there's also the deliverance of God's people, and it makes it a type and shadow of the future where God will come, the Lord will come again, and the righteous will be delivered, and the wicked will be destroyed. And so follow along with me as we read. There's a couple places where I'm going to interject some historical um, narrative, just a sentence or two along the way, to help us to understand what we're reading. Luke 21. He looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all She had to live on. That's kind of a rebuke to the rulers of the the, the temple. Um, Okay, let's move on. As some were talking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, These things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another that will not be thrown down. A couple weeks ago, our brother Ken mentioned... Uh, the Roman general Titus, who came to Jerusalem in the year 70 and did exactly that. He destroyed the city, broke it down, and threw down the temple. And it has not been raised to this day. Teacher, they asked him, so when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Then he said, watch out that you are not deceived, for men will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, it is necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. Then he told them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes, famines, and plagues in various places. And there will be terrifying sights and signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. When we read the book of Acts, we see these things exactly taking place. If you were a believer in those days, your life was constantly in danger of being found out and drugged before the... uh, the court and the rulers. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your mind 
not to prepare your defense ahead of time. For I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But not a hair of your head will be lost. In other words, you won't be lost either. You, you might suffer great damage and death, but you will not be lost. By your endurance, <clears throat> gain your lives. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. Then in those days, <clears throat> excuse me, then in, those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those inside the city must leave it. <clears throat> and those who are in the country must not enter. Because these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all the things that are written. Let me stop here a second. In the year 66, the Roman governor in Syria, his name was Gessius Florus, sent the Roman legions to Jerusalem. They surrounded the city for seven days. The believers there remembered the words of the Lord. When you see the army surrounding Jerusalem, get out and don't return. And that's exactly what they did. So when the destruction came upon Jerusalem, four years later, the Christians were out and escaped the persecution, uh, the, not the marauding armies of the Romans as they came to destroy the city. Woe to the pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will be killed by the sword and be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and there will be anguish on the earth among nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put out leaves... You can see for yourselves and recognize that summer is already near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away till all these things take place. The Lord Jesus was saying these words approximately 30 A.D. if he was born in 3 B.C., if not, he was speaking 32, 33 um, A.D., doesn't matter. That generation, about 40 years, you add it up, you come up with 70 A.D. when Jerusalem was destroyed. What he says is exactly true and has happened. There's a group of wicked despisers of God who have declared that Christ Jesus could not be who he said he was because these things didn't happen. But history tells us it did. It's, the church is handed over 
um, the ammo to the enemy on this point, and we need to take it back. Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, and worries of life, or that day will come upon you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that you are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. During the day he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night on what is called the Mount of Olives. Then all the people would come in the morning to hear him in the temple. Once again this morning we come to seek our God in prayer. We want to especially pray for Dave Merrick. Dave was a one of the elders at the Grace... Emmanuel Reformed Baptist Church in Grand Rapids. He has recently retired, and but yet still has a very uh, lively ministry, especially among the people there in the Far East. And just recently had a video conference Zoom call with several there in the Middle East dealing with biblical counseling. And we pray that God would use that for the good of those believers there in the Far East. So let us seek our God together in prayer this morning. Our Father in Heaven, again we, we thank You for Your Word. Even as we were reminded this morning in the reading of that Word that the things of this world, heaven and earth, will pass away. But Your Word will endure forever. And therefore, Father, we pray that we might be people who love Your Word. That we might be a people who meditate upon that Word day and night. That we would buy the truth and sell it not. Your Word tells us that Jesus, who left this world, will one day return. In in light of that, Father, we pray that each one of us might be ready for that day. For no man knows the day or the hour. Father, no man is ready for that day apart from being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so therefore, Father, we would pray that those of us gathered even in this place may know that we know you because we know you by being united to your Son in faith and repentance. And those who may not know that may today be the day of salvation. May you be pleased to open eyes and open ears that are deaf to the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Father, we're thankful for every opportunity that we have of proclaiming that gospel locally. And we're thankful for the opportunity of partnering with those who do it many, many miles away. We thank you for Pastor Merrick's many years of faithful service to the people of God there in Grand Rapids. And Father, now as he takes on a new journey, we pray that you would bless him. We thank you for the contacts that he has with many there in the Far East and some in the Middle East. And Father, we just pray that you'll continue to use him for your glory and honor. We pray that these videos that have been made concerning biblical counseling 
would be a benefit to the believers and to even help others who may not know you. Father, we pray that you would bless even his scheduled trips in the near future, that things would go well, that you would give our brother the strength that he needs, that he might minister to your people and to seminary students. But we thank you for the fellowship that we've enjoyed with him over the years. Father, we pray that you would draw near to us as we open your word. We are a people who are dependent upon your spirit to make your word effective. And how we pray that we might see the work of your spirit in the lives of each one of us as we look into your word together. So, Father, we commit our time to you, and we ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Now, before we come to open the Word of God, take your hymns of grace. Hymns of grace, 272, the power of the cross. 272, hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing.
Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. There are times when a man knows that he's about ready to preach his final sermon to a people that he has loved and cared and directed for many years. His health may be failing. His physical energy requires him to step down from his normal duties. Some other providential event may make it necessary for him to leave the pulpit. When Paul addressed the elders of the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 20, he thought he would never see them again. He says, And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. It was in light of this thought that Paul was energized to speak to them with great urgency about what was the central focus of his ministry, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says to them, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. It is said that George Whitfield, at the end of his life, was preparing to preach. And one of his friends observed and said to him, Sir, you are more fit to go to bed than to preach. True, sir, said Whitfield. And then he clasped his hands together and he looked to heaven and he added these words, Lord Jesus, I am weary in thy work, but not of it. If I have not yet finished my course, let me go and speak for thee once more in the fields. Seal thy truth, and then come home and die. For two hours, Mr. Whitfield expounded, developed, and applied 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. He was a dying man. And he knew it. That was his last sermon. And in September of 1770, he went to be with his Lord. For a man of God to know that he might be 
or is for certain preaching his last sermon to a people he loves perhaps provides him with greater energy and urgency than he might normally have. Moses is about ready to leave a people he loves. He has traveled with them for some 40 years in the wilderness. He knows that this is his last message to the children of Israel before they enter into the promised land. And he knows that he's not going into the land with them. So this is his final message. And we come to these chapters, 28 and 29, we have the end, and 30, we, we have the end of Moses' message to the children of Israel. And what he's doing is, he, he's calling them to renew the covenant that they made with God some 40 years earlier. He's calling upon them to renew that covenant. And He's not just calling upon the priests and the elders, but each and every one of them that they would be a people determined to obey, serve, and love the one true God. That covenant that was made 40 years earlier, we read in Exodus 19 and verse 5, If you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, then you shall be My own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is Mine. If you obey Me, you will be my treasured possession. And Moses, 40 years later, is now calling upon the people to renew that covenant that we will obey you that we might continue to be your treasured possessions. And, and what Moses wants on this occasion is for the people to respond even as they did some 40 years earlier where we read all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now last week as we began considering this final part of Moses' message to the people, we took up a couple things. Number one, we, we were reminded there in the first part of chapter 29 that Moses tells the people of God's past dealings with them. What they have seen God do over these not only last 40 years, but even while they were in bondage in Egypt, he reminded them of, of God's goodness, power, wisdom that they had seen with their very own eyes. Moses says, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes. Don't forget God's past dealings with you. In light of that, then we also notice together that Moses spoke of their present responsibility. And he calls upon them presently to be a people 
who are committed and devoted and loyal to Yahweh their God. We read of that. Look at verse 10 of chapter 29. You stand today, all of you, before the Lord your God, your chiefs, your tribes, your elders, your officers, even all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, your aliens who is within your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who carries your water, that you may enter into a covenant with the Lord your God and into His oath which the Lord your God is making with you today in order that He might establish you today as His people and that He may be your God just as He spoke to you and as He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so He calls these people to this renewal of loyalty, commitment, and devotion to God. So we've seen Moses remind them of God's past dealings. He calls upon them in the present to renew the covenant that they had made with Yahweh. And now this morning we come to hear what Moses has to say concerning the future. And what he has to say with regard to the future comes by way of warning. And what he sets before them here, starting in verse 14 and going down through verse 28, he first of all speaks of his genuine concern for them. He, he has a specific concern. Now remember, this is his last message. He will never speak to them again. And so before leaving them and never seeing them face to face, he wants to express his concern. And then secondly, he wants to speak of a sure result. I think in your bulletin I put sure reality. And going over it this past couple of days, I've changed it to a, a sure result. And then finally, he sets before them a frightening outlook. So with this word of warning, from, from, we might say from a pastor and a shepherd who, who loved these people, he tells them of his concern. He shares the result if that concern comes to pass. And then the outlook of it all. And so notice with me these three things. First of all, his genuine concern. Starting at verse 14. Follow as I read. Now not with you alone am I making this covenant and this oath, but both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, and with those who are not with us here today. For you know how we lived in the land of Egypt, and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. Moreover, you have seen their abominations and their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which they had with them so that there will not be among you a man or a woman, a family or a tribe, whose heart turns away from 
the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of those nations, that there will not be among you a foot, a root of bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. And it shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I have walked in the stubbornness of my heart in order to destroy the water land and the dry. So here's, here's Moses' concern for the people. He was concerned that their hearts would be drawn away from God. Now notice with me the extent of this concern. Moses tells them that this concern that he has is not only a concern for the present generation, but for the generations that would follow, those who were yet unborn, those who would be born in the promised land with, with all the blessings of the fellowship with Yahweh, with, with all the prosperity that they would enjoy if they were obedient and if they kept the Word of God. And so it's sort of a, a reminder to all the children of Israel that this concern, Moses is saying to them, this concern that I have, you ought to have for, for future generations. And you fathers need to be diligent in teaching your children. Remember what we read back in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go to Deuteronomy 6. Moses has already exhorted us in this area. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you shall be upon your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And you shall talk when you sit at your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. The exhortations, especially to fathers, is fathers, you have a responsibility to teach your children the truths that, that you've been taught. The, these ten words need to be a vital part of, of your family. They, they need to hear you speak of them. And they need to see you live them. You need not only to speak them, but you need to be an example to future generations. Otherwise, the concern that I have for you, that you might be drawn away from God, would be true for generations to come. What you do, what you say, how you live, will have an effect upon generations to come. The psalmist says in Psalm 78, For he has established a testimony in Jacob, 
and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that generations to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not be like their fathers. It's a responsibility put upon parents to teach their children the truth by way of words and by way of examples. So that's the extent of this concern. But, but notice with me the essence of this concern. What's really at the heart of Moses' concern for these people? And in answering that question, we go to verses 18 and 19. So that there will not be among you a man or a woman, a family or tribe, whose heart turns away today from the Lord your God to go and serve the gods of those nations. That there will not be among you the root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood, and that it shall not, that it shall be when he hears the words of this curse, that he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. What's at the heart of his concern? Listen, you've lived in Egypt, you've seen their gods, you saw how they served their gods. For 40 years you've wandered in the wilderness and you've seen these other gods and people worshiping their other gods. And if you're not careful, you might find your heart to be drawn toward other gods. Other gods may not be as demanding as Yahweh. Other gods may be seen with the eyeball and have some beauty in, 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 their, in their idleness. And you may be drawn to that. Yahweh you can't see with your eyes. Other so-called gods you can. And you might be drawn away from the true and the living God. That's at the heart of Moses' concern. Remember, even Joshua, when he came to the end of his life, told the people, Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. Joshua 24, verse 14. Moses knew these people and how prone they were to leave the God they loved. They hadn't been out of Egypt very long until what did they do? They built a golden calf. And began to worship a golden calf. And Moses is genuinely concerned that you're going to follow after these other gods. And that's going to have an effect. And in fact, there is the idea here in verse, at the end of verse 18 that you will go and serve other gods that there not be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. And the thought is that, that sometimes you go off and worship these things secretly. 
and, and you think nobody else is going to know, and then by and by you become an, an influence for evil. You're like a poisonous fruit that will have an effect upon those around you. So your heart being drawn away will be an instrument by which other hearts will be drawn away. That's my concern for you. And then Moses' chief concern was this. You'll end up being a self-deceived people. You'll walk around disobeying God. You'll walk around and behave yourselves as, as you determine you ought to behave yourself and not following the dictates of God. And the whole time you're doing this, you're saying, Oh, we're at peace. We're at peace. Everything is okay. And you know those curses that God says He will bring upon us? You know those judgments that God says will happen to us? They're not going to happen to us. In fact, you'll end up living like, like a little child. You know a little child and, and the mom and dad come in and say, here's what we want you to do. We're going to be gone for a little bit. And while we're gone, we want you to do this. We want you to do this. And the child's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to listen. And that's how you'll live. And you'll think that you'll get away with it. You think it's no big deal. Oh, when God said He's going to bring curses upon us. I mean, those were terrible things. Go back to chapter 28 and read about those curses that, that will fall upon. God says, these curses will fall upon you if you don't obey me. Oh, man. That's a straw man. That will never happen. And you walk around deceiving your own self. I'll live the way I want to live. And I'm at peace. And so often, believers live in this way. They're disobedient to God, but they say they're at peace. They say everything's fine. God gives them a directive. God tells them this is how you're to live. And when they find themselves living contrary to how God says they ought to live, they come up at times with even some of the best, pious excuses they can think of. Well, I know he said this, but in light of whatever. And they end up being self-deceived. The same warning is given to us over and over again in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, verses 15 and 16. See it. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And that real root of bitterness springs up causing trouble. And by it that they may be defiled. The writer of Hebrews says you need to take, be diligent in seeing that no no one comes short of the grace of God or no root of bitterness springs up in your life. In your life. And realize that your sin, though done in secret, will have an effect upon others. That's something of what he says in translating this there in verse 29. And, and, and verse 19, chapter 29, where it says, in order to destroy the water land with the dry land. There are, there are several interpretations of that. I believe what he's saying here is that, that your sin will have an effect 
over a multitude. There's no place it won't have an effect, dry land and watered land. There are other interpretations that come with that. But here we see a man whose, whose smugness is both amazing and offensive. It's amazing and offensive. I'm at peace, though they walk in disobedience. So there we have Moses' genuine concern for the children of Israel. Secondly, then we notice the sure result. Verse 20 and 21. The Lord will never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man, and every curse which is written in the book will rest upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And then the Lord will single him out for adversity from all the tribes of Israel according to the curses of the covenant which are written in the book of the law. Here's what I've just referred to as the sure result. And what Moses is saying is, listen, dear people, if your heart is drawn away from God and you begin to serve and worship other gods and you think you're going to get away with that, you are mistaken. And the judgment of God will come upon you. It may not come immediately. There may be some time. But the consequence of your disobedience is the judgment of God. The judgment of God. It's the same message that's given in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23. Most of us are familiar with this statement, and it's this. Be sure your sin will find you out. You will not get away with your sin. This sobering result of being drawn away from God is God's judgment and His passionate wrath. And it will fall upon you. Psalm 94 and verse 8. Psalm 94, verse 8. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nation, does he not rebuke? The psalmist says, wake up! Do you really think you're going to get away with your sin? Do you think the God who created the ear doesn't hear? Do you think the God who created the eye doesn't see? Do you really believe that? We sometimes act like we do, don't we? Sometimes we act, this is, I don't know where I got this term, it's not original with me, but this is when we act like practical atheists. We act like there is no God. We act like if there is a God, He doesn't see and He doesn't hear, He doesn't know. And I can get away with my sin. And it won't matter. Psalm 90 in verse 8. 
You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Our secret sins are in your presence. Think of that. The things that you do that you think nobody knows. Maybe something even in your life right now. And you think you're getting away with it. Almighty God knows. And if you find some delight in the fact that my spouse doesn't know, my pastor doesn't know, my parents don't know, my children don't know, my fellow church members don't know, and if there's some glee in that, I'm still going to enjoy it because I'm getting away with it. Almighty God knows. Psalm 139, where can I flee from your presence? If, if, if I make my bed in the very deepest parts of the earth, thou art there. The psalmist goes on to say, man, if, if I'm in the midst of the darkest of dark places... I mean, you can't see a thing. And I think I've told you this before. I, I remember being in, in Mammoth Cave down there in Kentucky. And we were down in the cave, and, and they shut off the lights. And literally, you could put your hand right here, and I could not see my hand. It was so dark. And we think to ourselves, I'll do it in a dark place. And God, and he says, he'll see it all together. With God, there's a bright light shining, and he sees it. Luke 12 and verse 2 but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. God will bring judgment upon even those secret sins that sometimes we think we're getting away with. And Moses wants to know if his people know. Not, not that they have committed He's, he's concerned. I don't want you to draw away from God. I, I want you to renew this covenant with God. But I want you to know if you don't, if, if, you, if you fall after other gods, you won't get away with it. God knows it. He sees it. Well, then that leads us thirdly to the frightening outlook. The frightening outlook. His concern, I don't want your hearts to be drawn away from God. The sure result, if they are, you, God will know. And He will bring judgment. And with that judgment comes a very frightening outlook from verses 22 to 28. I'll read it in your hearing. It's pretty well self-explanatory, but I'll say a few things. But starting there in verse 22. Now the generations to come, your sons will rise up after you, and the foreigners who comes from a distant land, when they see the plagues of the land and the disease which the Lord has afflicted, it, I'm sorry, and the disease which, which the Lord has afflicted it, will say, all its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unsown, 
unproductive, no grass grows in it, like the overflow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Admah and Zoboim, which the Lord overflew with his anger and his wrath. All the nations will say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land? Why this great outburst of anger? Then the men will say, Because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which He made with them when He brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they have not known and whom He had not allotted to them. Therefore the anger of the Lord burned against that land to bring upon it every curse which is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is this day. Here's what's going to happen. God will pour out His judgment upon you. And the land that you now occupy will become unproductive. It, it, it will be a land that will be burnt. Disease will come upon you as a people. This will be the Lord's doing. And, and when people see this happening, they will ask, why did the Lord do this thing? Why did the Lord bring about this judgment? And, and the answer that is given is because they forsook the covenant of the Lord. They were drawn away from God. So Moses, in his last message, is pleading with them with a sense of urgency. Dear people, keep your hearts. Be obedient. Because if you're not, this is the judgment which will fall upon you. And if you know anything about the history of God's redeemed people, the Israelites, this word comes to pass. In just a few short years, this, which was only a warning, becomes a reality. Why did God bring this judgment? Why are they going through these things? Because they forsook Him and they served other gods and worshipped them. And the anger of the Lord burned against that land. Would to God that their response would be, Lord, may it never be. Would to God that their response would be that of, of pleading with God for His grace and His mercy and, and by that to continue to be obedient to God. But they're just a few years away from being drawn away from God. And they, find them, they will find themselves back to square one and being a people once again that live in bondage to other nations. To other nations. And all the curses that He said He would bring about come to pass. 
And so one might imagine. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the night before this was like for Moses. I can imagine that the pastor's heart in Moses is thinking, I'm not going to see these people again. I'm not going to speak to them again. And my farewell message isn't going to be, I want you to have good health and prosperity all the days of your life. His message to them wasn't make sure you eat the right foods. His message to them was, don't let your heart drift away from God. That's the heart of a pastor who loves his people. It's what he wants. And it's heartbreaking when you see that happen. So as we bring this to a close this morning, I just want to bring home just some statements of of application that we can draw from this. I do not fear that you will go home this afternoon and if I go home with you and I walk into your your living room that there's going to be some big statue of somebody and as you walk into the house you and your family kneel down to that statue and do a few little incantatious and, and say some things and then go on your I'm I'm not fearful that any of you have maybe I hope not But I'm not fearful that any of you have any big idols in your home that you're going to bow down to and worship. But I do fear that in this world that we live in, that your hearts can be so quickly drawn away from God. And my fear is we can also become self-deceived and say, oh, I'm a blessed man, I'm a blessed woman. But my heart is not near to God. So the first thing I want to say is how thankful we ought to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. How thankful you ought to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're like the Israelites, aren't we? Which one of us have been obedient to all God's commandments? Which one of us can say, oh, I've obeyed all ten words. I see no hands. I don't know if that's because you're scared to raise them. Well, you know, I can't say that. I've been guilty. So what do I deserve? If I've broken those ten words, what do I deserve? I deserve God's curse. I deserve His judgment. And it's not that God can overlook my disobedience. He wouldn't be a just God if He overlooked my disobedience. So I'm a cursed man. Unless I have someone who takes the curse for me. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He took the curse that I deserve. So that now I can stand before God as a righteous man. Through the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, sometimes as we've gone through this book and, and we've, we've just heard of all the promises of God and how in the Old Covenant, if you obey, I will be your God. And, 
And, and we say, man, why didn't they obey? Why didn't they obey? You know why they didn't obey? Because they're just like us. Blessed be God for the new covenant in which He says, I'll send My Son and He'll become a curse for you. And now, as we mentioned last week, it's no longer if you will do this, then I will do this. It's now because I will put a new heart in you and I'll write these things upon your mind. Now I'll be your God and you will be My people. It's no longer if and then. Now it's because, therefore... So what a delight it is to be a part of that better covenant in Jesus Christ. But those of us who profess by faith that we're a part of the new covenant, if that's true, then it will be evidenced by obedience to the Word of God. We'll delight in doing the Word of God. And we still have a heart that can be deceived. And therefore, as the writer of Proverbs says, we need to keep our own hearts with all diligence. We need to keep our hearts close to God above everything else. And if I begin neglecting the things I ought to be doing in my walk with God, then by and by my heart will be drawn away from God. And in the same way with marriage. If, if I never talked to my wife, if I never engaged her, if, if, I, if I never communicated with her, if we live separate lives, there's not going to be that, that intimacy and that love that ought to be there. And so it is with God. We can find ourselves distracted by so many things in this world. How many times, I've said it, how many times have you said it? I was just too busy to spend time with God today. And I wasn't busy, you know, sitting around watching, Gil- you know, watching Gilligan's Island, right? And that, you know, I guess it's called binge watching now, you know. Hey, so and so channel is having uh, 24 hours of Gilligan Island reruns. Okay, I don't have time, God. I got no. It's not that. I mean, I'm busy doing legitimate things, taking care of things that are legitimate. But if I don't take time with God, my heart's going to be drawn away from Him. If I begin to play with sin, my heart will be drawn away from Him. So I need to be diligent to keep my own heart above everything else. I need to recognize that my negligence and my sin will have a rippling effect upon others as well. Oftentimes we think, I sin, I sin to myself. It will have an effect upon others. We find that even as a nation, do we not? As a nation, we've sinned, and, and, and many of us will reap the same difficulties and challenges that the unconverted will experience be, because we're a godless nation. We need to live, I think we're reminded in this passage, we need to live every day under the all seeing eye of God. There's nothing I can do that God doesn't see. Did, did anything take place in my life this past week? Did anything happen in my home that nobody else knows about but my family? And, and, and we think, okay, that's all right. And we gave no thought to, wait a minute, God knows. God knows. He sees. 
And then one other thing we draw from the passage is this. God is faithful to his word. God will keep his word. Now, that can be an encouragement. God will keep his word. I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's wonderful. Find great encouragement in that. But he also says he will punish the guilty. Not so much encouragement, but God will be faithful to that word. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, I'm going to get away with my sin. I'm somehow going to stand before God and I'll put that angelic smile on my face and and, and he'll be so impressed that he'll let me into his heaven. God knows your heart. Your standing with God is not by your angelic smile. It's because you have a relationship to him through his son, Jesus Christ. God will keep his word. He will be faithful. For that, us as believers, that is of great encouragement. Because I look around at this world and he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I look around and say, where? This world's gone mad. This is a crazy time to live. It makes no sense. But I have his assurance. He will be victorious. Therefore, I can press on, and I need not quit. Well, may God bless the study of his word. And if you're here and saying, wait a minute, Pastor Walden, what about verse 29? Verse 29, what about it? This afternoon, we'll take up one verse, verse 29. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. And even as we've heard Moses express his concern for the children of Israel, Father, we would confess that there's something very sobering about that because we would confess our own proneness to wonder. We would confess that oftentimes we have found this world to be very enticing We have found keeping our own hearts to be a very difficult, challenging thing to do day by day. We would confess that we have found sin to be fun for a season. And therefore, we would confess that we have a proneness to wander away from You. But by Your grace and by Your mercy... May we be a people who diligently seek the Lord. By Your grace in our lives, may we be a people who hide Your Word in our hearts that we would not sin against You. May we be a people who are cleansed by Your Word. And so, Father, we pray that even as we hear Moses concerned, so we will take heed to our own lives and that by your grace and your mercy we will press on disciplining ourselves unto godliness forgive us of our sins we thank you that you're a God who's faithful and just to forgive we thank you for your mercy and your grace that's demonstrated in our lives over and over again Father, we pray that as the people of God, our love for you, our service, our obedience 
would ever be growing and increasing to the glory of our God. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, take your hymn books, turning to number 400, Trinity hymn books. The Trinity hymn books, 400, that familiar song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. The final stanza says, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. 400 Trinity hymn book. That stand is we sing.